It's a warm welcome to you for a Monday's usual event for our Business Premium subscribers. Uh, it's called the Rational Radio webinar. We used to have it at one point in time just as a podcast, but the reason why we have it as a webinar is so that you can participate. So please do. Uh, Stuart Lohman, our general manager, will explain exactly how you can do that. That isn't him on the other side there. It's a you know, far better looking fellow, uh, our David Shapiro. Good to see you, Dave. Good to be here, Monday. And, and we finally got your got your sound right, Dave. I I, I think it's been weeks and weeks I, of. Yeah. I, you know, Alec, at my age, and I'm I'm at that uh, very fragile age, you know, where you have to actually continue to use different kinds of webinar services. It's all very confusing for me. So uh, I just go into panic and stress you know, uh, before each webinar, but I'm glad that it's operating. When I see my picture, that's halfway there. The sound is another thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that we uh, that, that we now on, and I'm also delighted that uh, Stuart has made me into the presenter, uh, so we can now see exactly what it is that's coming up, who the guests are. Stuart, before we kick off, do you want to just give us some of the technical background? Excellent, thanks. Good to be back after last week's Shizhorn. I hope you had fun, Alec. Um, just quickly, for those that can see Alec and David and hear my voice, a little high five button on the control panel. If you can give us some high fives, I see I've got a few already, which is always good news. Um, just so that we know it's coming through loud and clear, because it all sounds and looks good our side. Okay, excellent, Alec. They are there. As Alec mentioned, there is a, it's very conversational, so you'd like your questions as soon as possible, please. There's a little questions a box on the control panel or a little question mark which you just click and you can put the question through to Alec. But Alec, all good answer. Good to go. Brilliant. I think we're going to have to, Dave, we're going to have to now fix uh, Stuart's sound, don't you think? That's probably the... <laughs> the, the <laughs> and he doesn't have the excuse of age. <laughs> anyway, uh, but good, to, good, good to be back. I went to Champagne Sports Resort. I don't know if you know it, if you've ever been there before. Man, it was fantastic. You know, in, in this time of COVID, where it's so relentless, we all need to take a break. And I was away for a week and I came back feeling totally rejuvenated. But sorry for dropping you last Monday. Um, I won't do that again. Uh, and uh, so it's been two weeks since we've been able to catch up. Dad. We've got a good show today. We're going to talk about Pumalela. There's a battle royal going on there uh, between. Have you been watching? I, I just see the Oppenheimer's name popping up all the time. So it's uh, out of interest that I've been watching. I, I don't know where it is at the moment, but uh, I'm, I'm eager to hear. Um, and also, I suppose it, 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 it's the future of horse racing in South Africa, you know, which, is, uh, which one wants to see survive, not, not because of the betting sign, just that it's a, you know, such an honorable sport or such a good sport. And especially with the Oppenheimer's having been associated with for so many years, I just, Interested to see where it goes to from here. I had an interview with uh, Rian Duplessis. You'll remember him from Comparex, and before that he was RMB, uh, uh, a very well-known um, 
South Af- member of the South African business community. He was pulled into Pumalela 12 years mm-hmm. ago. He ran it for 10 years. He left there. It was making 155 million rand a year in profit. And now it's bust. And he's got mm-hmm. more. Well, he had 50 million in the rights issue that he put in there. So all the money he made from Comparex, he seems to have jumped to put into Pumalela. And of course, it was almost liquidated. So he's pretty upset. Uh, he's, he reckons that the, the Brits who are coming in and made, a, make an op, made an offer are a better option. But we're going to hear from Patrick Duff uh, a little mm-hmm. later, who, who's um, advisor and facilitator of the transaction to the Oppenheimers, uh, exactly why the Oppenheimer offers better. And they're voting tomorrow. So the whole future of horse racing is on the line. The other story that we're tackling today is, uh, again, controversial. And it's I remember you and I on the radio mm-hmm. some years ago thinking that Huleman was a was a good value investment. Yeah. And my mm-hmm. goodness, in the opposite, hasn't it? So we'll be talking to Volker Schutter in a little while about exactly that. He's a he, he's a shareholder, a shareholder in the company. We've seen his, the value of his stock, well, shareholders have, dropped by 90% in the mm-hmm. last 10 years. And mm-hmm. a little bit like Tongard Hewlett, it seems like the executives uh, need yeah, to be... It's a, it's a- Alec, it's a fascinating story because I've been watching it very carefully. I mean, it was a sound and superb operation. I suppose the question we have to ask is whether it should have been there, you know, whether uh, South Africa is a natural um, aluminium operator. We only we only started the Bayside, Hillside and Mosul um, refineries only because electricity was so cheap. You know, we don't mine bauxite or aluminum. I don't know much about what goes into it, but I've, I've always watched it and, uh, you know, been fascinated and it was a wonderful business, very well run. But I mean, it's under a billion rand. You know, today, I, I think it's operating at about maybe five or 600 million rand is the market cap, which is very strange. Of it. Of that, David, 338. Yeah. The 338 at the moment, sure. market cap, and it was, it was uh, well, they've lost two and a half billion rand, but we'll talk about that in some detail later on. And then we are revisiting the Kisby Fund. We'll have Sean Emery, who's the CEO of it, and the chairman, Mark Barnes, uh, who's always great value. Uh, <laughs> they'll be with us at about quarter two. So lots of uh, lots coming up in the program. From where you are sitting, David, I've mm. got to ask you the big question about gold. I wrote mm. uh, a little while ago that I'd, I'd missed out on my pal from Escort uh, when he became CEO of the biggest gold mining company in the world, Mark Bristow, um, mm. when he became, um, he was appointed by Peter Monk, who uh, tried to get Bobby Godsell to do that job some years ago uh, as the head of Barrick. Uh, Mark is there. I should have bought the shares, at, not least, like if you went off and became CEO of something, I'd buy it just as a matter of support. I didn't. Uh, but I have now gone and bought some Barrick shares in my own account to uh, see whether Mark can, can continue delivering. Do you think I've made a mistake? No. No. And, you, you know, um, I think if you listen to the talk at Jackson Hole, the virtual talk, uh, at the Jackson Hole Symposium, which is a, a once a year meeting of all the central bank geeks. And I mean, they really are geeks because they talk the kind of language that you don't understand unless you understand central bank economics. But I think you can summarize it in, uh, in one kind of sentence. Interest rates are going to remain low globally for a long, long time. Uh, there are fears about inflation simply because uh, the, you know, rates are going to remain low and they, they, you know, the, the U.S. Fed has come and said, 
we, you know, if if it goes beyond the two percent, which is our target, we're not going to immediately um, put up rates. They're going to allow it to settle down. So it's it looks like we're there for a long time, and that's what that's done is that's weakening the dollar. It's pushing up commodity prices, and gold is back to 1970 and looks like it will continue together with equity markets. So we're going into something that we've never really faced before, extended low interest rates, strong equity markets, strong commodity markets, simply because of the weaker dollar. At this stage, there's no incentive to actually buy the dollar as long as rates are where they are. So I think you're going to, you know, you're still going to see gold uh, picking up. And gold, and, and listen, Mark's a great miner. You know what I mean? He's... He's, uh, I, I love to listen to him. Him and Kudafani are the two chaps I enjoy listening when it comes to, uh, you know, commodities. So I, you haven't done wrong. You haven't done well yet. Well, I've just bought them, <laughs> but I haven't done badly in making the, making the investment. You know, it, it, it's funny that when you look at South Africans around the world, uh, if you had just bought into shares run by South African executives, uh, well, you start off with, uh, with Barrick, and then you add a little bit of Tesla, uh, you, you would be doing extremely well. But but we've spoken about Tesla before. What about all those stocks in the US that are being driven up by retail investors? They're going to continue. I don't think the retail investors are as influential as we say. They are influential, and they push markets up, but they couldn't do it alone. You know, there's a there's another move uh, into uh, into equity markets. Heck, if we look now, you know, I, I was very nervous the last couple of weeks because uh, we were at a critical point where we were testing the all-time highs in the S&P 500, which is the measure we use to measure uh, U.S. markets. We weren't quite sure whether it was going to penetrate. It's just sliced through, and it's going. Even now, looking to the right of me, I'm just looking at uh, – at, at the TV screen, you know, S&P futures are up again. So we're, uh, you know, we're not stopping here. And this could continue for some time. And where does it stop? No one knows. And a lot of it has been driven by tech. But I, I have to say, the more I look at tech, the more I look at where we're going to be in the next few years, the more encouraged I am by the, you know, by the theme. So, um, you know, as long as interest rates are low, I'm choosing the tech bubble rather than the, uh, you know, rather than the bond bubble because both of those markets could be described as bubbles. But I prefer to go into businesses that are growing. Uh, their earnings are double digits, which I think most of the tech companies are. So, you know, it's, it, it's fascinating to to witness to see what we uh, are doing. So, you know, what what markets are doing. But the Nasdaq, I'm going to give you a comparison, and this scared me. There's on the JSE, because people seem to, you know, whenever you talk about offshore on the JSE, you go straight for process and ask this. But we have got a lot of tracker funds listed there. And there's a NASDAQ tracker. I think it's a Satrix NASDAQ tracker. It's up in RAND terms from the beginning of the year, 64%. Okay, in RAND, 64% from the beginning of the year. If we look at the all share index, sorry, I'm going to use a, Satrix 40, which is our favorite, you know, the, which is the 40 uh, highest capitalized shares on the, on the JSE, which includes Process, it includes NASPES, it includes all the gold companies that have done so well, that's up 1.5%. So the NASDAQ tracker on the JSE is up 64% since the beginning of the year. The Satrix 40 
which is the JSE, is up 1.5%. So it gives you an idea of the huge difference in the performance uh, of these markets as well. You know, I don't well, want to go you- to the property but- <laughs> Oh boy, I'll, I'll give you a, a, another little view on the property one as well. But but there's a there's something to also compare with. Forget about the JSE for a minute. But the first line, the black line, is Nasdaq, uh, the tech yeah. stocks. The blue line is the S and P 500 index. And as you can see there, this year, uh, or since the dip uh, that we saw in March, and that was the time to be buying late March, early April, uh, we've seen the Nasdaq go up quite nicely, um, but, uh, sorry, the NASDAQ has outperformed the S&P by, what's that, 25%, 25 percentage points? In in dollars, probably, yes. In Rand, it's about 40%. In, wow. in, uh, sorry, 20%. You're right. You're dead right. 20%. I'm trying to remember the numbers that I took out. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know what? And, and who's coming in number two? We spoke about it extensively here. You interviewed Magda. The fourth industrial revolution fund is is uh, also up about, I think, in the 40s, maybe even a little higher since the beginning of the year, which includes some of those, uh, you know, tech companies that are involved in the vaccine in Oxford in in, in the UK. So there's something winners on, on the JSC, absolute winners, you know, that you could have got without having to take your money, do go into an, uh, an asset swap, et cetera. So, you know, credit to to the ETFs, to both Signia and to Satrix for providing these for local investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Signia has actually been a very interesting story, given what Magda has done there, David. Is it a, a stock that uh, you would be adding to your portfolio? I see they're, they're in the Sunday Times every week they have a, uh, a, a group of guys who uh, give the, the views, their views on what they should be buying. I mean, I, I really don't think that they should be sticking their necks out in the way that they are because a lot of those guys have you can see they haven't done a heck of a lot of research beyond just mm-hmm. looking at the momentum but there mm-hmm. was one this last week who suggested that he'd be buying 91 but if you have a look at that graph mm-hmm. of signia it's quite impressive isn't it it's a, it's yeah. a stock that has gone from there it was around 770 in may la, uh, mm-hmm. may this year and it's now sitting at, at virtually double that and it hadn't mm. done a heck of a lot since then. So if you'd bought it any time in the last few years, you or since the listing, you you would have been disappointed until uh, the, the the surge that we've seen lately. She's providing good products. Signia are providing excellent products, and I think the products have outperformed the share. And uh, I think financial services is a very difficult issue at the moment. Your fees are very low because people don't want to pay fees anymore. Uh, you have to keep the turnover going. And, you know, at the, at the moment in South Africa, things are tight because uh, investors, if anything, are cashing in on their investments, you know, particularly policies. And, uh, you know, you can, you can sense it with consumers. But I think from, from the product, from the array that has been offered, and I, I've got to include Satrix now. At the moment, the one that I like very, very much is their China fund. And, uh, Satrix have come out with the China Fund, which includes Ali, um, Alibaba, Tencent, uh, Pingang, uh, and a whole lot of other companies that I can't produce, JD.com, Baidu, and, you know, the food delivery service, uh, Maitung something or other, I don't know. But a really, really good, uh, you know, good, good exposure there. So you can c- 
cover all markets. And you see Mr. Buffett has now gone. He, it was his 90th birthday yesterday, August 30, 30th. He was born on uh, in 1930. So he's 90 years old. And uh, today the news came out that he's put $6 billion into a, a selection of Japanese trading firms. I don't know what kind of trading firms, commodity trading firms, stockbroking firms. I don't know what they are, but they're trading firms. And one has to look further into that. But uh, so, so there are plenty of opportunities, even if you remain in JSE and you don't want to get involved in the local economy, uh, by keeping your money here and looking, you know, you can do pretty well. Just to close off with, uh, we did touch on property a moment ago. Uh, there's Growth Point, which is the biggest property stock in South Africa, as you can see. And by the way, these, mark, these graphs are available to all Business Premium subscribers. Just go into Wall Street Journal and you can pick it up uh, there. It's, it's a fabulous uh, um, facility that you have. Actually, let's go in the year to date. And there you can mm -hmm. see started off the year at 22 Rand 40, sitting now at 12 Rand 66, mm -hmm. uh, which is not far from uh, the, the low point of uh, 10, 11 Rand. People buying today, David, why would they be buying this given the dramatic changes that we've seen uh, that are being implemented around the world on the way people are going to be not going into offices to the degree they used to. I, you're, you're absolutely right. I think it's not only that. Uh, it's 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 also what the you know what COVID has done to a lot of their uh, tenants, particularly in the retail space. So it's not only offices; it's it's uh, the retail space as well. So. Um, the Satrix, I was looking at the property index, it's down about 50%. But the companies like Vukili, which is retail, have been, I think they must be 70% down um, on the year. I think in, in August alone, they were down about 20%. So it's a segment sector that has been hurt really dramatically. Alec, the other thing that we tend to, where you also must measure is that uh, you must look at what you call the capitalization rate. In other words, the cap rate that, that you can get on, the return that you can get on, on property trusts and that. And if you can go into RSA stock, you know, in other words, safe, sovereign stock, RSA, and you can earn maybe in the 20 year, you can earn over 11 and in the, in the 10 year, you can earn nine. It means that's going to be the measure on which you're going to judge property trusts and that. So they've got to come down without getting too complicated. If interest rates go up, your capital value goes down because you've got to match those rates. And at the moment, it's very, very difficult, um, you know, to, to, to match those kind of rates, which is putting pressure on the whole segment. So it's a, you know, you have to look at the long rates to also get a view of, of where to pitch property trusts. But it's been a segment that has been absolutely destroyed over the last two years, you know, as things have changed economically, globally, and it's in South Africa. Don't try to catch a falling knife, or in the case of South African property stocks, don't attempt to catch a piano that's been thrown off the top of a, <laughs> of a high-rise building. Dave, uh, okay, let's, let's get on to our next uh, conversation today, and that is um, a, a very warm welcome to Volker Skitter. Uh, Volker, if you could switch on your uh, uh, your um, here we go. Uh, video. It's called a video, and it's yes. called a, a microphone. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. Very good. Very good to have you on the program. If you, um, we're going to be talking to you about 
what you said at the Hewlett AGM. Um, but before we go there, just by way of background, a little bit of background on yourself. Uh, you came from Germany to South Africa, uh, what's it, about 30 odd years ago. What exactly do you know about the aluminium industry, given that the aluminium sector is where Hewlett operates? All right, yes, I came into South Africa in 1983. Can you hear me well? And uh, in, in, in 85, in I started a company that is trading in aluminium products, semi-finished products in aluminium. And since then, I've been in the industry since 1985. I also run a company doing the same in Germany, the same. So I'm quite globally set up in the aluminium industry, but um, very much at home in South Africa. Okay, I don't know what's happened. When we tested your audio, it was perfect, and now suddenly we've got feedback. Uh, it sounds yes, like you've got somebody okay. else in the office who's listening in. Okay, yeah, okay. Let's see. Yeah, we, I got some, uh, not a perfect line. Good. All right, I hope it's not better. So since 85, I'm in the industry in South Africa, in Shanghai, in Singapore, Panama, Germany, and um, I know the aluminum industry, let's say, pretty well, being for such a long time in this business. And I certainly know Schuderman uh, also very well. I visited their plant in 1987, I believe, the first time. I know Schuderman as a customer. I know them as a supplier in South Africa as well as uh, internationally. And I also know them as a competitor. So I know them from various angles, basically. And, um, yeah, I'm also a shareholder in Schuderman today. How long have you been a shareholder? Not so long. Not, not so not so long, because uh, let's say I saw some good potential in the company, let's say when I was at two rand and so on uh, a year ago and, and earlier, uh, I saw a good potential, but uh, maybe I was not hundred correct, but now it's at one rand, so I already lost kind of a fair amount of money since then. but um, uh, well, uh, that doesn't mean to me that I give up. Um, Maybe uh, if you allow me, Alec, to just take one step back, because that's one thing that is important to me to say is, you know, in South Africa, the public, the media, and certainly the business community looks super critical at governments, companies like the ESCOMs, the Denel, the Transnets. And we are all, for good reasons, super critical of these entities. But at the same time, you see quite a few companies in South Africa on the stock exchange, which are, I would say, as badly run as the Denels or the Transnets or even as the ESCOMs, uh, companies that basically have destroyed nearly all of the capital uh, of their shareholders. So I just mentioned uh, NEMPEC, TPC, uh, Tonga Tulips as a prime example, and certainly Schulemann. Schulemann has lost a dramatic amount of money uh, over the last few years, and I think it is not better run than, let's say, an ESCOM or a, a Denel. They will also, mm -hmm. like Denel has to go to their shareholder government and ask for money. And I think Huderman sooner or later will have to do the same, go to their shareholders and say, we need more money to plug the holes. Well, before we uh, get into into that, as you can see on the screen, we've got the graph of Huleman, which is what we call a negative 10 bagger. Uh, not too many of those uh, make shareholders interested you bought in not a 10 rand a share but at two rand a share and you've only halved your money other people who've been long-term shareholders have, have only got 10 percent of what they put in 10 years ago and you brought this up at the uh, agm 
uh, and which I, I presume it was a uh, it it would have been a, a virtual AGM. But I want to just play part of what you had to say. See, the problem is nowadays with uh, with virtual AGMs and things, you are on the record. But it's really good uh, for us to just listen to this again and get an insight into exactly what the issues are. And then I'm going to ask you if you could okay. uh, give us some more more thoughts on it. So here we go. Pretty much 90% in rand terms of the value have been lost during your terms, during your 10 years at the helm. And in dollar terms, I think it's even even worse. Um, from a shareholder's point of view, in these 10 years, um, approximately 2.5 billion rands have been destroyed, been lost. Um, had together in these 10 years losses of 1,77 billion rand. We spoke earlier about tax points and the receiver revenue. I think even the receiver revenue made no money on Huneman as they had to pay back 431 million rand in taxes in these 10 years. So from a shareholder point of view, um, I must say these were highly disappointing years um, the last 10 years with you as a CEO. Now, can I ask you, Richard, to maybe outline to us um, a bit of what are your plans for the next few months? I'm not talking about the next few years, but the next few months um, to get out of this crisis at Huneman. What is your uh, marketing and sales drive um, overseas and locally? Uh, if you could share your kind of bullet points here with you, with us, and also your time frame. I understand that you're running a cost reduction program, but I think, uh, as I said earlier, cost reductions will not do the magic here. And, Chairman, if you allow me to ask you, the board, under your guidance, how much time will you give Richard and his executive team to achieve such a turnaround? Um, I think, um, my point of view, there is not much time left before the company will be in even more serious trouble. So I would be very interested to get a bit of an idea what you as a chairman and the board um, have agreed or discussed with the executive team. Thank you very much. So those were two very specific questions. Now you were talking about Richard Jacob, the chief executive who's been there 10 years and has presided over this massive destruction of value you put the figure of two and a half billion how did they respond or how did he respond to you first off oh dear i think we've just we've just lost volker uh stew have you are you are you hearing him from your side i know alex so it looks like he's just gone offline i think the internet's just dropped his side he said it was a week okay no problem I know sometimes I go offline, so that doesn't uh, that doesn't help. Just to double check that he that he isn't there. Um, I'm sure he'll be back in a moment. But let's just uh, ask David Shapiro, who's also, as we mentioned earlier, who's been who's been watching this company for a while. Dave, uh, how would if you were sitting in Richard Jacobs' shoes? He's been running it for ten years. Uh, shareholder value of two and a half billion has disappeared. Ninety uh, percent negative ten bagger. Surely the guy should. Should, uh, and he's a lovely man, but surely he should be thinking of doing something different. Well, 10 years. 
I mean, that's a long time. And Alec, you know, I've never been involved in it. I've got it in my hospital portfolio simply because it's got bricks and mortars and it's got uh, a lot of plant that there's got to be valuing. But, um, you know, I've always looked at it and, and gone through the numbers and very briefly listened to the excuses. You know, there's been a whole lot of issues because, number one, the product that they put in is RAND-based. You know, it, it, it's driven by the RAND dollar rate because it's aluminium. It's an outside. It's a, it's, it's a commodity. And then the product they sell is also dependent on the RAND because it's an export side. So the RAND does have a very big bearing on it. Remember, they make a lot of aluminium for cans and for uh, various other products that they do sell and, and export. So in effect, it's a company that should be really making a lot of money or doing well. Um, I know the aluminium market has been under a little bit of pressure because of where we are at the moment, but it's just been a litany of excuses, you know, of, of for 10 years. And the company, as we know today, is trading, as you said, at 300, 400 million, which is, which is crazy. And if you track what management has said over 10 years, you know, each year you're given a little more comfort, a little more comfort, and then they never delivered. It's more excuses, et cetera. So I think it's not a company that's well, you know, at 300 million, no one's going to really cover it. So you don't get any analysts looking at it. We just look at it from a, an interest point of view. But, um, I, you know, as Volker says, at some point, <laughs> there's got to be resolution. And I, I, I honestly think it's a business there. In other words, there's a underlying business that can bring a lot of a lot more value. You know, remember, aluminium is used in pots and pans. I'd love to ask Volker, you know, there's, there's a thriving industry. We've got some great brands in this. Surely uh, some kind of deal can be done that can, uh, you know, bring in the local manufacturers to use this or to to upgrade it. You know, I, I, I don't know where the problem is. Um, you know, you, you put me on a spot here because it's not a company I cover extensively. But, I mean, it's I know that there's been year after year of it. They came onto the market 40 rand. When they were unbundled, I think it was 40 rand they were unbundled from, from Tonga at that stage. And this was going to be a great business. It's just gone one way okay. from there. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm back again. again. Can, you, can you hear me? Uh, yes, we I was, can. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Unfortunately, we're, we're, we're going to be leaving. Uh, we, we're going to be leaving this topic in just a moment. But the question okay. being, how was the response from the chairman to the question that you asked uh, of uh, how long are they going to be giving the chief executive, given that he's had 10 years already? Alex, thanks very much. A good question. No, the response was zero. I have not heard anything during the AGM or later on. It's now four weeks ago. Uh, I have heard nothing from them. And um, I believe there is, and I believe there is nothing to come. So um, the issue is closed uh, from their point of view. I mean, I'm, I'm happy you already uh, stated the relevant points about the 10 years of Richard Jacobs. Um, I think the main, let's say, stakeholders at Tudorman, in particular shareholders, employees, but also customers, uh, must be highly disappointed in the performance over the last few years. And as we say, downhill is always faster than uphill. Um, yeah, Tudorman doesn't have much time to get its act together. 
Volker Schurter, thank you for uh, the, your contribution today and uh, also for updating us on what's going on at the Peter Maritzburg company. Might not be a big deal for um, people generally looking at the market with 338 million in market cap. That's really tiny now uh, on the in the context of an investor's perspective. But uh, when you think about the city of Peter Maritzburg, uh, Hulemann is very, very important, as well as the um, aluminium industry in South Africa. Most disappointing performance, but uh, nice to hear from Volker as well, and uh, the, the the context that he puts in there, that it's not just uh, when you underperform in the public sector that uh, the focus should be on you in the private sector doubly so. Well, a company that has underperformed terribly in the last couple of years is Pumalela, you can see above me. Uh, that's a picture of a horse uh, who was a champion South African stallion. His name is Ravishing, and if you you uh, saw him in the flesh, you'd know why they called him Ravishing, beautiful um, a stallion, uh, and also a, a champion when he was on the racetrack. But the battle for the South African horse racing industry, which is in difficult times, uh, has been heating up. We welcome now to Patrick Duff. Uh, Patrick, if you could open up your – yeah, I can see you've got your, your – um, here we go. We can see you on the screen, and there's a little bit of a little bit of a profile. Uh, it looks like a, quite a nice picture there, Patrick, from your LinkedIn profile. Where was it taken? That was uh, at Sinsa, um, sort of a, a kind of a northern eastern Cape um, in wintertime last year. Uh, yeah, uh, I actually hadn't oh. been there before and discovered this amazingly long these amazingly long beaches, which are uh, kind of beautifully unpopulated. So I guess that's uh, why I'm looking pretty relaxed there. <laughs> Fantastic part of the world. My family loves it and they go there very often. Mm. Uh, Patrick, let's just pick up a little on the whole Pumalela story mm. and to your involvement. Uh, as, as we can see there, you well-educated two MBAs, one at Warwick and one at Duke University. So you go to England and to America to make sure you, you know both sides of that story. But what is the, your role with Mary Oppenheimer and Daughters? Sure. Um, thanks, Alec. Uh, yeah, so my background is investment banking and private equity over the last 20 years, um, internationally as well as African and South African. And, uh, you know, Pumalela discussions with, you know, I guess started going into distress, if that's the right word to call it, uh, middle to the end of last year. Um, Mary Oppenheimer Daughters uh, mandated uh, a um, restructuring task team to you know, get involved with Pumalela to the extent that it can could to help out South African racing. Um, and they started with middle of last year as well, just engaging with uh, stakeholders. And... You know, I think with COVID uh, come February of this year, uh, those discussions had to be tabled due to the, the I guess, uh, um, stress that COVID put on to Pumalela's revenues and its ability to pay back creditors. Uh, and in stepped uh, John Evans, the business rescue practitioner, to, you know, organize a way forward, whether it's a, you know, trading out of a situation, a liquidation event or the sale of assets. And with that, uh, the RTT felt that they needed someone uh, from an advisory perspective on the uh, corporate advisory side uh, to join their team. Um, and, and I've been mandated, mandated by them to help them think around you know, structuring you know, what assets you know, are attractive, uh, what, are, what are key to assets going forward. Also, what's available in terms of the, the, the checkbook for uh, Mary Oppenheimer with regards to now and then post the transaction with investment into racing. Um, so that is that is effectively my mandate uh, to effectively help Mary and and, and the RTT to 
work with the lawyers, work with the BRP uh, in terms of putting our best foot forward to acquire assets and to do what is what we feel uh, may be helpful for the racing industry in South Africa. Now, Patrick, this uh, webinar is only for our Business Premium subscribers, and that's why I can share on the on the screen exactly how I structure uh, a discussion like this. Uh, that's a mm -hmm. mind map, I think, called Coggle, and it really is. If you if you were to read through all of that, the, the focus is Rian Duplessis, who I spoke to on Friday. Now, remembering that he was chief executive of Pumalela for ten years, uh, so mm -hmm. he would know the business backwards. He put a lot of his own money in just the recent rights issue. He put 50 million rand of his own family's money into it. Of course, that's worth a fraction now of, of, of the investment he made. He maintains when he left there, it was making, a, well, it's true, it was making 155 million in profit every year. Two years later, it's, it's on the brink of liquidation. Given the insight you've had, what the heck went wrong? Uh, it's, I mean, I think it's difficult for me to, I guess, uh, talk around. I mean, we we haven't we've done a fair amount of diligence on on the asset, um, you know, and uh, you know I think from a you know from the, from having joined the team and and having sort of been in the, you know sort of the Pumalela buildings, you know I think there the, there is a you know there is a a long legacy of things that have compounded over time, and you know I think you know I think what happened in COVID, um, you know, forced a lot of those things to come out into the open. I think even prior to that, there were things that were happening from a management and control perspective uh, that um, possibly could have been better. Uh, and I think there there have been gaming taxes which have been, uh, you know, which were critical to, I guess, the cash flow positive nature slash dividends nature and paying creditors nature from uh, the respective gaming boards, or actually particularly the Gauteng Gaming Board, which um, did not flow in 2019. And that combined with, you know, sort of the, the COVID environment, uh, you know, potentially the, the racing uh, sort of industry not being quite well structured as, as what it could be, um, not sort of getting the footfalls into the tracks, uh, the tote uh, needing some, you know, sort of, you know, freshening up, if that's the right way to use it. And then the fixed odds operators coming into the market. I think all those events have, uh, you know, put a stress on Pumalela, which has seen it come to this position. What Rian did say, and uh, I think this is very relevant for the conversation that we're having today, is that when he left, uh, the proposal was that the horse racing assets would be given back to racing people. In other words, people like Mary Oppenheimer. Uh, that never happened. Was there ever a a good reason given to you for a change in strategy after the, the former CEO left? No, I mean, I think I think Alec, I think it's important to kind of note from my perspective. I joined in May to to look forward with Mod. Um, I don't understand. I, I haven't had the conversations of why particular events did or didn't happen uh, under the old guards, whether it be uh, Rian or. or um, John Stewart subsequent to him. You know, I think what's important uh, from, from a perspective going forward is that Mary Oppenheimer uh, definitely is setting up, well, is setting up, a, if we're successful or if MOD is successful, is setting up a structure whereby the racing assets have been selected um, that are critical to um, race the racing industry. Um, and that's with input from, uh, you know, 
the RTT, which um, I know you talked to Brian Riley and Charles Savage last week, so I won't go into their credentials, but effectively um, the new entity that is to be set up is for race, the racing industry. It's uh, from, you know, from grassroots levels to, um, you know, to reflect, I guess, the South Africa environment, uh, where it is from a socioeconomic perspective and a demographic perspective. There's not going to be an entity that's going to be paying dividends to shareholders. Um, and I sort of touched on it at the beginning. There's the funds from Mary Oppenheimer to acquire the assets and also to make creditors good for a minimum amount, but there is certainly upside on that. And if you'd like, we can talk around that. I think it's probably good to talk around that at the appropriate time. Um, and then, uh, you know, allocate capital to invest in racing for the, for the next, let's call it four years, you know, to fix us, you know, an industry that could do with a freshening up and, um, you know, talking about the digital environment, uh, you know, how best to digi distribute the totes. I mean, the South African racing product is a really good product. Uh, it's, um, you know, and, you know, there is demand for it globally. Uh, and to sort of, you know, put together a very strong package that I guess makes South Africa proud again with regards to its racing, not, not again, but, you know, sort of in terms of makes it proud to distribute its, its racing internationally, uh, create jobs, um, you know, sort of export its product and its horses globally uh, to make it more relevant uh, in, the, in, this, in this day and age. And I think that's the, the strong commitment from Mary. So tomorrow, creditors are going to vote. And yep. the vote is either to continue with uh, what Mary Oppenheimer and daughters, in other words, the people you're representing, uh, have put on the table, or to take uh, or to postpone it uh, in the light of an offer from the UK operation uh, gambling company Betfred. Now, what's the difference between what you've put on and what Betfred's put on? Just really in a nutshell, and I, I say this because when I asked Rian see this question as a major shareholder, he's the fourth biggest shareholder in the company. He says unquestionably he'd be going with Betfred. Um, so I think in the media there's been, um, because the business plan is quite complex, I think the, two, the difference is that it's firstly around the assets that are being acquired, then there's the timing of the transaction, then there's the certainty of the transaction, um, and the value potential to creditors and shareholders. Uh, so let's start with um, the assets within uh, within the two transactions. Uh, within the so the Betfred offer is apparently an offer to buy all the Pumalela assets um, uh, that uh, at for a range of I think from 825 to 925 uh, so 875 to 925 and that being based on performance. But let's let's call it 825 875 million for all the assets. Uh, the mod offer is part of just a separate part of the whole business rescue plan, which um, it's important to understand that Pumalela has a basket of assets and subsidiaries. And MOD, MOD is only acquiring the racing assets. Uh, we're leaving behind uh, Interbet, Superbet, uh, SW Security, and, and, and other assets which have value. Uh, so our offer, and I, and I saw in one of the publications, it says it's half the value of Betfred. That's incorrect. Um, our offer makes up, at, underwrites at least 72 cents to creditors, um, and of, of that, it's a, that's a loan, and of that loan, we are buying the racing assets for 180 million, uh, and then we've also made an allocation for 300 million for an international um, co-mingling betting business that Pumula loans. Uh, what is important to understand is that with time, we think the BRP can create mo most value by selling the other assets, and uh, we believe he may, may be in discussions around the sale of those assets uh, to interested parties 
because to sell the assets in a business rescue process as well as in a COVID environment, particularly if they're retail assets and tote assets and betting assets whereby people are stuck at home, maybe doesn't make the most sense. So in a nutshell, our offer is 550 that underwrites at least 72 cents to creditors. But then on top of that, BRP is mandated to sell all the other assets. And you know, on my diligence and MOD's diligence, we think that that flow of funds to creditors and shareholders could be approximately just under a billion, which is, a, which is actually a little bit north of the Betfred offer. Um, so that's the first thing to keep in mind around comparing the two offers around valuation. Uh, so with the, you know, with a billion, or let's call it 900 to, to a billion, uh, the current creditor, um, let's call it tally, is sitting around about 750 million. So creditors would get 100 cents, uh, and then they are off distributions to shareholders. Uh, so there we, you know, in, in, you know, so I think by giving BRP time to sell the non-racing assets that MOD isn't buying actually creates value certainly for creditors and shareholders to be able to not be in a distressed asset to allow competing bids to give them time to negotiate, uh, etc. As to you know and and get pe people's footfalls in the doors and we're providing funding right to the to November of next year, which allows people to get, get past this year, move into kind of 2021 uh, footfalls in the shops, in the totes, in the betting world operations, into bet people coming back at the ra new racing. Um, so we think that's the best thing for stakeholders. Seems to make a lot of sense. Patrick, uh, you know before going into a meeting your chances of success, particularly in something like this, given that the, the big creditors uh, are the banks. Are they supporting you? Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, we've obviously had conversations. Um, and, you know, we would like them to support us, but uh, at the end of the day, the banks need to submit to their credit committees and, and look for certainty uh, and timing. Uh, and, you know, we hope that our offer uh, sort of reflects those in terms of certainty, timing and risk. And I think another difference around the Betfred offer is, you know, we've signed our loan agreements and those funds will flow into the business and to creditors in October. Uh, the Betfred offer, um, which, you know, BRP has just published, is, a, is an agreement to agree. There's, there's a long way to go in terms of negotiations, final terms, etc. Um, adjournment, new plans being published, creditors then needing to vote again, of which MOD is a significant creditor uh, at that stage. So I think this would only come back to creditors around possibly the third or fourth week in October for more discussions. Um, so I think the banks may look at that. So we're, we're hopeful that um, you know our rationale with regard to timing uh, hundred cents on the rand to banks uh, makes sense to the so credit committee. First prize is that uh, the creditors tomorrow support you and then you can get cracking and uh, then let the business rescue practitioner sell off whatever assets need to be sold at the at, at, in a reasonable rather than a fire sale. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, tomorrow is the first big step. I think there's an awful lot of work to be done, firstly, from the assets being acquired and then from an industry perspective in terms of gaining alignment. I think, um, you know, the RT team and mod and industry participants in this day and age need alignment to, to create a strong product just from an economic perspective. Um, and that's also a body of work that needs to be done. Uh, and it's probably more important than actually just looking at the assets. I mean, that, I think industry alignment first and then kind of, look, you know, looking at the assets to see, you know, you know, the improvements from operation perspective. Well, we'll be watching, uh, as will be many people in South Africa, because there are thousands of hundreds of thousands, in fact, of, uh, of jobs that are involved here uh, on the line. Thank you, Patrick Duff, for your contribution today. Uh, we'll be watching what happens tomorrow with the creditors. We're closing off today's show uh, with... 
Sean Emery, who's the chief executive of the Kisby Fund, and Mark Barnes. Um, Mark is the chairman of the Kisby Fund. Nice to have both of you here today. Uh, Mark, let's just uh, try and bring you in as well. Sean, I think you're going to need to. Yep, uh, you've got your you got your camera on. Mark, there we go. Hey, nice to see you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> that's that's a really naughty thing to say, Sean. Um, in, in fact, <laughs> Mark, but we don't have your sound on, so we need to we need to unmute you. <laughs> there we go. Hang on. Uh, I think you're right. Mm, but if we can just uh, if you can just unmute the sound, perhaps. There we go. Okay, Mark, we should hear you now. Hi, and thank you for your continued interest. For those of you who were on last time I was on, I need to point out I'm standing on my head uh, so that I'm <laughs> at least upright for your viewers. And I can only do so for about 10 minutes before my arms came in. So let me know. If I'm upside down now, I can sit down and be the right way, right? Anyway, hello, Eric. Thank you for your <laughs> continuing interest. From a cold and windy and delicious Komiki, good morning, afternoon. Uh Komiki, mm, um, a Komiki Hotel, best calamari in the country, I believe. Certainly, that's the view. Oh, Mark, good to have you. Uh, and and Sean, last time we spoke, uh, it 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 feels like just the other day, but of course it's some weeks ago now. Uh, you were excited about the Kisby Fund and the interest that was being generated. Uh, Sean, just uh, from your perspective, have you have you got any money committed yet? Well, we haven't got anybody who's put their money in the bank account yet, Alex. Now, this process has taken slightly longer in terms of that than we had anticipated, but actually everything is going according to a you know, really well-established industry timetable. Mark's doing whatever he can to bend that timetable, but as only he can, right? He's pushing through those barriers and, and, is, and is making some rapid process in doing that. But, uh, you know, we're getting much, much closer. Clearly, we have, but yes, the short answer to your question is we don't have money in the bank for any of the parties yet, but there's significant interest and a lot of due diligence on our side going on. Mark, for people who are hearing about Kisby for the very first time, and in fact, I bumped into someone in the Drakensberg uh, of all places. We said, wow, she's, she's just mad and she thinks this Kisby fund is such a great idea to start getting South Africa working again. Very briefly, could you explain what the intention is? Yeah, thank you. That fresh Drakensberg air always brings the best out in people. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the the discussion has become more and more refined as we as, we, as we've engaged. I mean, we've had 11 uh, we've had 11 presentations to institutions and DFIs and funds of funds and asset managers and the like up to now. And really it's distilled down to this. We are we are looking to put money to work. Uh, in, if you like, the M of SMEs. So, so, so slightly bigger, more established SMEs who don't have access to formal capital at the right price or in the right mix. These are operators that are already in business in the in the real economy. That is to say, they are not financial organisations. They're not, uh, you know, they're not established, listed on stock markets and things of that nature in the established formal economy. But they're real businesses. Uh, and they employ real people. And so our focus has drilled down to saying we want to get South Africa, the real South Africa, back to work. And we find ourselves creating a new asset class somewhere between the established capital markets of the JSE and the bond markets 
and the totally informal cash-funded markets where uh, we would argue that predatory finance prevails. And so we're trying to find, a, a, and likewise, we're trying to fill the gap between private equity that wants too much of your business and banks that won't give you enough as a loan. And so that mixture of capital <coughs> focused on real businesses um, is what we believe uh, has in it the foundations of a middle class, and we're putting money into those businesses. That's what we're trying to do. Save jobs, create jobs, build a middle class. So it's it's a classic disruption role in a way, in that you, you're getting in between uh, areas in, as you said, in the financing side and also an area that's neglected. Sean, you're a disruptor and you've, you've been in fintech and, uh, and, and in that area for a while. Are you seeing a market in the gap? Because when we first spoke, I think we all got terribly excited uh, about the Kisby Fund. But are you seeing now that, that after those 11 meetings that, that Mark referred to, that you've done enough pitches in your life? Uh, are, are you seeing people yeah. actually wanting to support you? It's very interesting, Alec. The, there's undeniably the willingness and the want to support. People clearly understand what it is we're doing and they see the massive need for it. The problem is these are people that are stuck in institutions who've been given you know, five-year mandates to manage a pension fund according to a, a formula which is the old industry. Their formula is you're an you know, alternative income investor, invest in debt, invest in the listed equity space, everything you invest in must have a Moody's rating, and that's your mandate to manage my money. Go off and manage my money. So we're talking effectively to these people who are providing a service to the funds, and they actually are funds, and they have a, a very specific mandate. And what we're doing doesn't fit into that exact mandate. But they want to get their money into our, into our fund, and we've got to find the right mechanism for them to do that and explain to them, actually, yes, we are a debt fund, which is a combination of debt and equity, the equity portion is just that we give companies the time to our debt, we give them a debt structure, and then we have this option to convert to equity. But you have to have these both these elements because SMEs really need it. And you know, they've got two boxes. They've got a private equity box and a debt box. And never the two shall meet unless Mark can force that bridge in between the two of them. And we are. I mean, we are forcing that bridge. So it's great in that there is excitement. We've just got to actually make this bridge work. And that's what disruptors have to do. You have to actually craft the new. Once we've crafted this, I have a feeling that there will be many, many more funds like USB which will follow this exact approach of the investing in the mid-size space. Mark, when we have a look at the whole COVID-19 pandemic, it's been a little bit like a, a big rugby match. Lots of interest as we got up to the peak. And now that it, we have peaked and now that the infections are drawing down, the interest seems to be waning in, in many areas. But when it comes to the economy, when it comes to what, what you're focusing on, it's only now starting to pick up, as it were. How do you, how do you keep people interested in this when, uh, if you like, the, the, the drama has gone out of it? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, actually. Um, uh, you know, Sean put his... his put the nail on it, is, is that people are going, okay, Mark, we want to do this. Can you just help us explain it in this way so that it fits into our mandate? Okay, because our mandate is established markets, well-known structures, and, and, and the like. And we say we're creating a new asset class. And when you reflect in three to five years' time of how you've allocated your capital, something like 20% of this 
would have gone into, I'll get your question specifically in a minute, something like 10% of your money would have gone into the middle real economy. Okay, and so they go, well, yeah, would we restrict it to the, uh, the listed markets? So I go, okay, well, um, why don't you give us 10% of last year's losses that you made in the listed markets? you know, a la Steinhoff or Tongart or REITs or wherever you like. And then they go, okay, we get your point. And then they say, well, we actually got a mandate to invest offshore. So I go, well, why don't you give me 10% of what you lost offshore last year, which in aggregate the industry added up to 300 billion. And so we're starting to, if you like, take people along, uh, you know, a curve of, of, of awakening into the fact that just because everyone's not doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it and that you shouldn't be, you know, leading it. The interest in the asset class is overwhelming. We get through that speech in the first 10 minutes of a one-hour presentation. And, and, and people have got money and they want to do it. And that's not just locally. We've, we've been speaking to uh, things like guarantee funds uh, internationally and you know, also in, in government, our own government, the guarantee fund, which the banks have really not uh, shown an appetite for using. Uh, we in discussions with them about things like that. And so we are going to find a new pool of thinking. Uh, and we would argue that the fully priced markets are not where you want to put uh, you know, long-term uh, investment capital on behalf of pension funds and the like. And we would argue that the markets are almost by definition fully priced. And it's, it's taking, uh, and, and our fund isn't COVID driven. I mean, COVID's just one of the causes. And I actually think COVID's gonna, for the survivors, COVID's gonna end up in a whole lot of fitter companies, more competitive, uh, better qualified to do business, but with, but with not enough, uh, you know, work for all of the people, a, a big job losses. And we are focusing on giving the funding for expanding those businesses so that they can re-employ or, or, you know, employ new people and grow. The businesses that we're looking at, they typically have a profile of forward growth that's in excess of 20%, you know, double in, you know, you know double digit numbers for sure. And so it's not just a COVID thing. I, you know, I think people are moving away from the traditional markets reluctantly, not because they don't want to go, but because their mandates and the people behind them uh, are, are not with it yet. And let me say one more thing about that. I mean, it would be my view that the world of capital allocation and credit extension is changing fundamentally as we speak because of technology and new ways of thinking, okay? And so if you think that the only pools of capital are going to be the JSE or the banks, uh, you, 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 you're not right. And, and, and so we are trying to go into this forest of more exotic animals and bring out a perfectly clean, uh, you know, edible meal. And when we, when we get there, uh, you know, the first movers will have had the first returns. And so I think they're all convinced. Um, we're just doing the homework. We, it, it's delayed us a bit in the sense that we've had to relook at some of our structures, relook at the data room, relook at the tick boxes that people need to go through um, once you've sold it. But I mean, our, our data room, our investment memorandum is, is ready on the uh, next week um, with all the changes to structures. And uh, we, we expect commitments, we expect capital more like in November now than we did before. Is there enough, are there enough investable assets? Or that capital. Well, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, you know, when you say, you know, we look. Our ambition is to raise a fund of between one and five billion. That's not money in the terms of the the size of the of the middle economy. I, I just think we are all ignorant of it, and I, I say that with caution. But you know, the informal economy is huge, but it doesn't necessarily. 
you know, pay full tax or, or, or participate in the, in, you know, URF and all of those kinds of things because it just hasn't got growth capital. It's got sustainable, it's got sustenance capital at best. And so I would argue that the, that the unreported turnover, if you will, of, of, of what we might regard as established but yet informal uh, businesses is, is huge. I mean, I, I don't know how big it is, but it, there's, there's so plenty I, to invest. Well, Alex, from a numbers point of view, you're talking about 250 loans at 10 million each, right? I mean, you, you know, you, you're going to get there in this context. So it's not a, you know, we, when we talk about this, and, and you know, David spoke about it, when he spoke about these Tatrix and these Jays and these trackers and that invest in NASDAQ, invest in technology, invest in this, we're talking to people and saying, fundamentally invest into a basket of the mid-sized corporates of South Africa. If we get enough base, you get 250 of those together. Each individual company has gone through Moody's rating, each one's gone through deep transunion rating, each one's got cash flow, each one's got a private equity evaluation. If you've got that individual one with good, good, good underpinning credentials on each asset, but you've got 250 of them, you've got this great diversity and you actually are getting SA Inc, but not SA overpriced corporate Inc on the, on the exchange. You're getting SA Inc in the mid-section, mid, mid right? You're getting the mid-sized real economy driving assets of South Africa. The David, evidence you... is clear. The evidence, sorry, Eric, is clear. If you look at Sandton City, there lies the evidence of running out of growth opportunities for established capital because they're building buildings, okay? And, you know, and I would argue that they would be well advised to invest in their future clients rather than in their own edifices. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, who's going to pay medical aid contributions in the future? Who's going to pay life insurance premiums? Who's going to pay lawyers fees? The current growers of the middle economy. That's where we're putting our money. Middle, what do they call it in Germany? Is it the Mittelstadt? The uh, David Shapiro? Uh, the, the middle uh, sector which has made Germany into by far the best performing economy in Europe if we could yeah. get something similar going in this country but Dave do you do you, you know the uh, you know the the the, uh, the status quo yeah. do you think yeah. that they uh, they ready they ripe for the plucking for the kind of uh, work that Mark and Sean are, are doing with the Kisby fund I think we underestimate you know the M as uh, Sean called it, in the in the finance side, there are some wonderful little businesses that you know probably don't want to go public simply because they family run, they might not tick all the boxes. And from my point of view, those are the people I talk to on a personal level, you know, personal friends, etc. And they're vulnerable, and they are they are terribly terrible, terribly vulnerable in these kind of conditions. And uh, you know what one has to save them. We, we're not talking about the Hulemans and all the other businesses that, that are going in, uh, you know, that are finding time stuff. These are profitable business. They might be making um, protective wear. They might be a little furniture factory or a pharmaceutical business. You have no idea how many little businesses are like, you know, they are like this. Where do they look to? You know, where do they, where do they come to if they do need, uh, need money in these extremely difficult times? You touched on one thing that was important, Alec, and that was the worry that, that as time goes by, the momentum starts to slip. And that's what worries me more than anything else as well, you know, that they start to become despondent and they don't want to put the energy in and they just, oh, well, let's just trade out of this. So I'm a bit scared of that happen. But uh, I'm, I'm with Sean and Mark. You know, I think there's some 
incredible little businesses here that uh, that just some, you know Buffett used to say these are businesses that don't read the headlines. In other words, they're not put off by 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 the news that they read. They just come in each day and manage to find a deal here and there, and you know, manage to find a customer and so on. Almost like Volker came, you know, when he's talking with his human. He came here in 1983. Those kind of businesses. So yeah. So I, I wish them all the best. But dealing with pension funds and institutions that tick boxes is not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> but Mark, you are confident you're going to you're going to drive that bus through and and uh, get people to think differently. The, you know, they are thinking differently. It's whether they can actually, you know. Be a bit of a pioneer and go like, listen, guys, I want five percent of my money in this thing, you know, uh, and 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 fight for it because it's far more. It's actually becoming clear that if you leave your money circulating in established capital, you're not going to be leading the returns league in five years' time. And so some of them see that and they they're almost asking us find us a way into this thing. And and I tell you, other things that we didn't think about as much in the beginning was philanthropy funds. Um, and, and and people that are prepared to underwrite and guarantee this because it has become a social course. Jobs in South Africa is like it's like center stage on everything. And so we started to talk to way beyond F asset managers and DFIs and, we, and you know talking to guarantee providers. You're talking to uh, we're now starting to talk to philanthropy and philanthropy. They struggle with the fact that they don't want returns. I mean, I'm being blunt, okay? But they're like, we're not really interested in these private equity returns. We want like a three percent return on our fund. But we've got tons of capital to throw into this kind of uh, debate. And so it's gathering all of those things into some sort of cohesive landing of money. And the other th last point I'd make is that, you know, presenting on a screen is not the same as presenting in a, in a room. You can do so much uh, in a presentation and then, the, then you switch the screens off. Okay? And then our next feedback is another set of screens. Whereas in the old days, when you raised capital, you stood in the room, you fought it out, you engaged with one another. You said, no, 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 let me tell you about this. Let me take you there. And so some of those disconnects um, are not as effective on a screen as they were in real time with real people in the same office, with the data bank with you and all of that stuff. And so some of that stuff is making it a little slower. Well, you are on the right side of history, though, and we saw that today in this program with Pumalela. The, it's a philanthropist who's coming to the party. They're Mary Oppenheimer, and the, perhaps the biggest difference that uh, that we didn't touch on between the bid she's put in and the bid that's been put in from abroad is that Mary Oppenheimer is guaranteeing all the jobs will stay. Uh, there's no way that a, that someone who's looking for a maximum return on capital from a multinational is going to want to guarantee that kind of thing. So philanthropy certainly is. But Mark, just to close off with, maybe Sean, you can also chip in here. To, to to finish off this whole thing, now November looks to be, as you said earlier the date, a lot of these businesses have been smashed by COVID-19 and they're going to take a while to recover. Even those that are recovering or, or operating at perhaps half of what they did before COVID hit, have they got the time to to hang in there? Or do you give them a message and say, look, we, we think you've got a great business. We know that you're having to dip into your pocket, but there can be a, a an option into the future and and i guess that's really the big question can they hang in sean you want to start or do you want me to no i think i mean i'll you can sum up at the end then we'll do it to tie it in the bow and fix anything i get wrong mark which is your role right so <laughs> this, uh, look you know we 
You ask, I mean, this is a question that make, keeps us awake at night, keeps us driving this process forward as hard as we can. The businesses you're describing at the moment and that David described, we are talking to them, we're getting people approach us all the time, they've heard of us, they know we exist. I mean, the, the demand is, is really large. The investment opportunities are amazing. Um, I, I do think that we've set ourselves an internal target. If we don't get it by the end of the year in this context, you know, we, we, we really need to think about this in a different way because it's, you know, these businesses, somebody else, if it's not us, someone needs to get in there. We've got to get in the space. South Africa needs to get in it. I mean, the banks are trying, everyone's trying to get in it, but South Africa needs the space and we will drive forward until we get it done in some way. Even if it means we have to hand it over to someone else, but it's got to get in there quickly. But time is of the essence. It is an urgency thing. Yeah? And I mean, we feel it, and our customers feel it, and when you get people approaching us, feel it too. Yeah? So I think the banks have financed the first six months. I mean, uh, that's a very crude statement, but I think that lots of people have been given leeway on their mortgage payments and on their rental payments and on their what, 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 what. Uh, but I think that's run out now because it's, the suppliers of that capital, we've seen the results in the banks, we've seen the provisions, we've seen all of these things. They're not... They can't do another round of that. Okay. So, so what's next is not uh, lenient capital. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not deferral of, of because deferral really just compounds your liability. Let's all get real. Okay. It's now time for new capital to go in there. And the and the reason why asset managers have to invest in this space is because those are the suppliers and the you know uh, premium payers and the. Of, of the real economy. These are the people that are in the supply chain to SAB or in the supply chain to wherever, okay? The people that manufacture the widgets, which are part of the car, which are part, or, or the rubber, which is part of the tires. We need to go there. And I think the people that are investing in the established companies are starting to go like, is their supply line and are their offtake agreements valid and financeable? And that's where we'll play, below that, below that formal market where they're investing now. And we're saying, we're underwriting your future, my friend. Thanks, uh, Mark, Sean, for the update on the Kisby Fund, and we will be keeping in touch with you as we go yeah. ahead. It's a national Thank interest. Thank you for your interest. We appreciate it. Well, it's national interest, Mark. We all got to be it's interested in this stuff. national interest. It took the words right out of my mouth. There's a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> Good seeing you again. David, uh, just to, to close off with, Mr. Shapiro, um, interesting program today, interesting show, as always. Uh, but, but I quite like uh, the, the Kisby connection, if you think of, of what Mark was saying there about the philanthropy and how COVID's changing the approach. We, we've, we've, yeah. we've, got to get, we've got to keep the wheels of the economy rolling uh, and, and actually below the level of the uh, Sun Internationals, you can go to shareholders and pick up 1.2 billion rand yeah. in additional capital to, keep, to bail them out. And what happens yeah. to the next? Well, Mark explained it in the supply chain. You know, it's uh, the little businesses all between. When you go to Woolworths and you go buy all that wonderful fruit, you know, that's not one big marketer. That's lots of little producers that are 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 um, supplying Woolworths. You know, they go select the best. So you can use the same kind of analogy to any kind of business uh, along the way. You know, who makes the clothing, who makes the shoes, who makes the widgets and so on. And, and, and that's, that's where one has to focus. It's not the large companies. Um, and you've got to save them because they generally either mom and pops or they've got very family businesses or something like that, but still very, very strong. 
and uh, are the foundation of, 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 of any economy, not only the South African economy, of any economy. So, yeah, I, I hope they're successful and I hope they're able to raise the money. Imagine the frustration. You've got a good business. You know that it's well managed. You've, you've got your systems in place. You've been doing it for decades. Your family's been, been at it. And now you get something outside of your control, like COVID, which is just wiping out your uh, business overnight. You just need a little bit of help for a short term, but no one's going to give you that help. No one. Uh, and you know what happens, Alex? Just think of COVID, and it happens globally. It's no one's fault. It's not their fault. It's not these businesses' fault. You know, even if we take that to the hairdresser and the restaurants, they would just close down. And and a lot of these places have put in enormous amount of time, years into establishing their uh, to their brand, their well known or their skills, and overnight they're gone. And it, yes, it's very easy for a large business, a Walmart or a pick and pay or that this game, you know, to overcome these short term situations because they've got a lot of reserves. But for little businesses uh, uh, along the way, it's not that easy. And this shouldn't have happened. You know, the fund shouldn't have been there. The banks were supposed to bridge the gap. The government was supposed to bridge the gap. It hasn't happened. You know, it, it hasn't happened. I'm trying to get out of here. Yeah, and, and particularly when you're thinking of the, the uh, uh, tourism sector as well. But anyway, Dave, it's been great chatting again, as always. Stu, uh, we've overrun our time a little. But uh, I'm sure that that hasn't been anybody uh, or hasn't made anybody unhappy. Do you want to just let us know where the recording will be? Excellent. Thanks, Alec. Yeah, great stuff as always. Um, I've put the YouTube channel link on the control panel to all those still listening. Um, if you click on there, you can get this video probably in the next couple of hours. We seem to process that. But that's where we put all our webinar videos. So it's not just this one there for people to see and catch up because lots of interesting information. Fantastic. Thanks, Stu. Thanks to all our guests today. And thanks most of all to the BizNews Premium members who uh, participated in this webinar. I look forward to next Monday. Until then, from me, Alec Hogg, cheerio.